Welcome in to the Raheel Show podcast, as always, brought to you by Perfume Time Houston. And uh, what is Perfume Time Houston? It is your place to get perfumes, colognes at wholesale prices. Major, you got to check this. So my dad, uh, he's been on Harwin now for almost 30 years. Wow. And he's like, you got to stop telling people to go. Why are they going to these big box stores and paying retail prices on perfumes and colognes when I can give it to them for wholesale prices? So... We are spreading the word right here through the Raheel Show podcast. Go in there. You will get the Raheel discount because I'm his son. I never pay full price. If you go in there, you shouldn't have to pay full price because you know me. That's how it works. So uh, my dad encourages you guys to come out. And uh, Mother's Day is coming up. Get your perfumes uh, through my dad at Perfume Time Houston. Just Google it. You will find the directions, all the information, the hours. Or you can call them at 713-782-0030. How about htowndental.com? Four locations across the city. htowndental.com. Book your appointment on there. You get a free cleaning and x-rays if you mention the Raheel Show. Do it right now, guys. Uh, and if you know somebody that needs to get dental work done, uh, they can't afford it, or they need to be put on a payment plan, uh, my brother, Dr. Ramzanali, will set them up, and it's a payment plan that is beneficial to the patient because he knows all about that. He, he knows that not everyone can afford it at this time. And if that is an issue, they will set you up and they will make sure to get all your stuff done. They are awesome. HTownDental.com. Uh, let me fix the sound here. We'll have some sound issues on the live stream. So give me one second, everyone. We will get this going. Uh, fix this. Test, test, test. No sound coming in. How about now? Billy, can you hear it? Billy? We got one person listening. I like it. I like it. All right, let me try that. If it doesn't work, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you can listen to the actual podcast then on podcastarena.com slash Raheel. Today, my guest, I uh, found him on Twitter. He's somebody I should know because I live out in Fort Bend County. If, uh, I grew up there. Uh, it's Major Chad Norvell joining us on the Real Show podcast. How you doing, Major? Very well. Good morning. Appreciate you inviting me in today. So uh, I came across your account. So I've, um, I, I've seen Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office all over social media. You guys have done a great job recently, uh, not only through Twitter and Facebook, but also through uh, the Nextdoor app, uh, all the alerts that come through there. Um, I, haven't, I, I just came across your account last week because of the alligator, right. the, the gator that was out there <laughs> right. after the uh, rain. So you guys really focused on that now. We are. We, uh, we know social media is a great way to engage with your community. And we believe every law enforcement agency should be very active, and we try to be. We're on, as you said, we're on Nextdoor, we're on Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram. We have our own YouTube channel. We have everything. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a really great way to build that sense of community um, with your community. Absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, traditionally it's a lot of, you know, the officers, uh, local officers would be in the community at events and, you know, just driving around saying hi to neighbors. And that still happens. I, I love it when I see uh, we're in an unincorporated part of Fort Bend County, so you guys, the Fort Bend right. County Sheriff's Department, you guys are our local officers. Right. So I like it when somebody's driving by and you talk to the officer, just say hi. You know, they're not out to get you, so it's uh, I love that part of it too. But the Twitter connection, the social media connection, uh, I, I'm assuming that has done so many different things for you guys, opening up different communities and just you know getting to know people also. Well, it really has, and, and what it does, it, it makes your community feel like they know you. Yeah. Because we try to. You know, when deputies do great things in neighborhoods, we, we try to feature them on there or, or have something about them. Yeah. So it really builds that personal connection with neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It also lets people that may be new to Fort Bend County know where they live. So many people, you know, out where you live out 99, mm-hmm. they don't really understand 
the facets of unincorporated versus incorporated yeah. or what it means because you might have a Katy or Richmond or Sugarland address that you don't really live in those cities. You live in the unincorporated areas. And in fact, most of the area that has a Katy address is actually part of the city of Houston. Really? And most people aren't aware of that, that while they're not in the city limits right now, the only city that has annexation rights is Houston. Yeah. And that the Katy address part is truly irrelevant. So how long have you been with the, uh, the sheriff's department? I have about 25 years law enforcement uh, experience out here in Fort Bend County. I've mm-hmm. been with a couple different agencies, but all in Fort Bend. Wow. Um, I followed the sheriff. I was his chief deputy when he was constable for eight years. Cool. And then when he became sheriff, I came over here with him as a major. I'm essentially the, the number three uh, as far as rank at the sheriff's office. That is cool. Uh, and social media, is that part of your job now? Are you like in charge of it and you have a team under you? Or what, what's well, the deal? Well, both. Um, you have to have a lot of trust in those that do your social media. So we do have two full-time public information officers. Um, one of them we hired from Fox 26, Caitlin Espinosa. Okay. And she nice. does quite a bit of it. And obviously she was very experienced at it. And But myself and as far as even our dispatch supervisors, and I've even mentioned that to some other agencies, uh, mostly for Twitter. The media uses Twitter almost exclusively, as you know. Mm-hmm. And if I need to get out at something at 4 o'clock in the morning that an 18-wheeler flipped over on 59 – your dispatch supervisor is already there. They shouldn't have to call me or call Caitlin or call anybody else to put it out on social media. So we've empowered them and trained them to do it themselves. Yeah, that's a and great it's point. really broadened our team. It, it, it has. Um, you know, I get a lot of my traffic alerts and anything that's happening in Fort Bend County through y'all's accounts. Right. Uh, because a lot of uh, local reporters will just retweet that. It saves them the hassle also right. of trying to get the right information and this and that and pictures. You guys do everything. It's, I mean, the PI officer now, it's a totally different position, isn't it? It, it really is. The public information officer used yeah. to be the one that just sent out press releases. Um, our other PIO, uh, Bob Hanel, did 35 years newspaper. And so he's very good at that. And he hasn't embraced the social media as much, mm-hmm. but he does a great job. And, and we enjoy having both of them. But it does take a team. And there's several of us, including myself, uh, that, that do all the social media to keep it active. Yeah, and the pictures are always good. Uh, the alligator right. thing, it is so awesome to see. I, I know it's not safe for residents because there's a the right. big, you know, 10-foot alligator, 8-foot alligator just walking around. But, like, you know, going back to last week's story, right? I was on the show when, when I saw the picture, and I said, man, I need to go home and find it because Old Orchard, I believe it was there, right? It's on 1464. Yeah, it's like a, it's right. like a, a neighborhood over from me, and I was like, right. I need to go find this alligator. I'm sure you guys get a lot of dumb people like me that are going to seek out stuff like that. Like, well, where's this alligator? Well, here in <laughs> Southeast Texas, if you have a body of water, there's probably an alligator in it. Yeah. And we do have a lot of uh, new residents in Fort Bend, let's say from the Northeast, that aren't used to seeing alligators. And we'll get lots of phone calls to the sheriff's office about they see an alligator, they see a coyote, they see a bobcat. Well, those are all native wildlife. Yeah. And we don't normally go out for those unless they're parked in the middle of the road like this alligator was. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you started, uh, you've now been serving for 20 years. You, right. You've been uh, doing that public service. What got you into it? Well, I actually uh, was born a block from your studio right here. Really? I used to ride my bike you know, out where all these buildings are now, um, right over here off of Richmond, and uh, before we moved out to A-Leaf. And I eventually went in the Marines, and then after that came out, and that's when I went into law enforcement. And it's a... It's a transition that a lot of military do to, to law enforcement. Yeah. It's a good fit. What school did you go to in Aleph? I went to Aleph Hastings. Aleph Hastings. You're a Hastings, Hastings guy. I am. Nice. Uh, I'm a Clements guy out in okay. Fort Bend. Um, 
So you go, uh, what years were you serving the Marines? I went in in 88. 88. I graduated high school in 87. Man. Right. So and how long were you in the Marines for? I was in six years, uh, most of it reserve, um, other than call-ups. You know, we called mm-hmm. up for Desert Storm and things like that. But um, the military is good for maturing people, and it you like that structure, and that's a good fit. A yeah. lot of law enforcement have that prior military. So were you one of those guys that in high school you were just not out of control, but you needed that structure that... No, I, won't, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I wasn't one that excelled. <laughs> you know, I ran track and things like that, but I uh, wouldn't say I was out of control or what, but I did a semester of college after high school and just wasn't for me yet yeah. and went into the Marines and it helps you mature and settle down and move on from there. And I feel like back, uh, you know, like in the 80s, uh, late, or late 80s, early 90s, um, there was more of a... Okay, if college isn't for you, that's fine. It's not a big right. deal. Uh, now it's well, if college isn't for you, what are you going to do with your life? Well, uh, you know, it's crazy. And, and you know, we focus on those people quite a bit. Yeah. We, we'll go and speak to uh, KDISD, for example, is a great, mm-hmm. great career center that focuses on law enforcement, for example. And you have to recognize that college isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. And just because you go to college doesn't mean you're going to excel. And you don't have to go to college to, to to be a police officer. Now, a lot of places are going to require some full-time experience or military, uh, even as we do. Yeah. You have to have full-time experience or a little bit of college. We want you to be a little more matured, but to be a 911 operator, they, these are good careers that you only have to be 18 years old. You can come be a jailer in the jail with us or Harris County, you're 18, and it'll mature you, but it's also a solid 40-hour job that doesn't require college education. Have you noticed that people have gone away from these careers because of the the media and law enforcement stories of late or has this just been a decline for years uh, or has it been a decline i don't know if it well, has i know there's lots of areas that are having trouble recruiting mm-hmm. uh, i understand hpd has a a lot of openings and they could have a lot more with retirements but we've been fortunate that we don't have that many right now yeah. uh, we always have openings uh, that's you're always going to have that transition but I wouldn't say that it's really hard to get people to apply. It kind of, it really does go with the oil market. Really? Uh, it, it does because government work is stable. Mm-hmm. And even myself, after the military, I worked for, back then it was Dresser Atlas, oil field services. Okay. And I saw friends get laid off and, you know, based on the price of oil. And you go into government work and, you know, we don't have layoffs, yeah. fortunately. It's like for steady, the most part. Yeah, I mean, it's steady for the mo- most it, part. It is, and it's stable and Obviously, you're, you're working for the public, and you, you have to have a different mindset to recognize that and that servant mindset, I suppose. So you were deployed during Desert Storm mm-hmm. when you were serving or no? Oh, no, no, right? Okay. No. So you were just but, uh, you were in the Marines during right. Desert Storm. Right. So you didn't have to go abroad or anything no. like that. No. Um, so then you joined law enforcement after your, um, your right. stint there in just in private sector. Uh, right. What was the first thing you learned when you started? Well, I worked for the Stafford Police Department when okay. I started. and. Back then, it was very small. There was lots of times you'd be the only officer on the street, and you had to work together with your area, you know, Missouri City Police Department and Rosenberg and yeah. Sugarland. And back then, the area was small. Sugarland isn't what it is now. Yeah. What year and was that, by the way? That was in '92. '92. Oh yeah, right. it was really small then. Right. I mean, small. it was just like '59, pretty much going right. through. Right. Two lanes, and, and that's you could it. Cut the median in the grass. It was very small. Man. And uh, it, it was a different era and as things have grown in Fort Bend County now almost 800,000 people mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's a booming area Two of the, you know, the fastest growing zip codes are in the country are in Fort Bend County yeah and it's a it's a very different time for law enforcement I mean you're so lucky that 
a lot of people have seen the changes. Like I moved here. I moved to Houston when I was five years old from Pakistan. Right. Right. So my family immigrated here, and uh, we've been here since uh, we were in A-Leaf until 96, and we went to Sugarland in 96, and we saw it change so much. We lived right next to First Colony Mall, mm-hmm. or back then it was just a piece of, it was just right. grass, and then it turned into First Colony Mall, but you, know, you used to see deer all the time, and it was just a different, a, a different thing. But you are lucky that you saw all this change happening, and you were driving around, you were patrolling, right. so you've really seen the neighborhood changes. How how is that now? Like just, when you're driving around, you go, "Gosh, I remember back then." Like you mentioned, 59 was just right. two lanes. Well, even where I live now in Katy, I used to duck hunt. Really? So it, every area has changed, and yeah. and you really hate to see it. And I've moved farther and farther west, and mm-hmm. even Katy, you know, you don't see all the ducks and geese and all like you used to. Mm-hmm. So many areas are changing, not always for the best. Uh, if you like that old the wildlife in the rural setting, and yeah. and as you said, all those. Sugarland used to be a very rural area. People used to drive to Sugarland to buy pecans, yeah. and it's, it's not so like that anymore. And with the sugar plant closing and, and so much change out there, and so much business coming to Sugarland, it's such a very congested area. But very nice, very pretty, very well managed. Mm-hmm. But it's not what it was. It, it not at all, and it, especially around the the sugar plant now, it's turned into this whole new neighborhood. It, back then. I remember when I was growing up uh, off Highway 90, if you guys, uh, those that are listening, you've, if you've never seen the uh, the old Imperial Sugar Factories right off of 90 and Brook Street. Right. Um, back then, there were, they were, there were neighborhoods back there that weren't the best neighborhoods, but they had these basketball courts, and we would always go play basketball right. there because that was the best competition. And now when you go drive there, it's like it's not the same place. It's so crazy how fast it changes. It is, you know... It, is Sugarland and Fort Bend County in, in, in general, is it, does, is it having a gentrification issue where people that grew up there are getting kicked out because of, you know, it, the, the rising prices and you got to build more houses and townhomes and all that? Well, it's definitely a, a change. You don't yeah. find too many people that are from those areas or have always lived in those areas. Mm-hmm. You can still go down Brook Street, as you mentioned, and find some of that old neighborhood. And there's some old residents that are still there that still remember when Sugarland became a city back in the early fifties. Yeah. And, but, the, but there's not too much that anymore. And as you mentioned, even today driving in, cause I don't come into Houston anymore, even though this is where I grew up, so to speak. And it, it's amazing just the change everywhere you go. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's difficult to keep up with for sure. What was the moment where you knew that Fort Bend County is changing? Was there a moment that you remember? I don't know there was a moment. It's just been so rapid and so steady for so long, with Fort Bend County being one of the fastest-growing uh, counties in the country. We're, I believe, the ninth or tenth largest in the state. And with 254 counties in the state, so many are extremely small that that top 10 to 15 are, are very different from the rest of the state. Really? And you can drive around Texas and still very, very rural. Just driving from Katy to Belleville, for example, is very different. But when you come into the rural areas and the, the sprawl we have here in Houston, uh, it's really hard to tell where Houston ends and others begin. Like, yeah. it's, it's so far out now. It really is like, uh, it, I don't want to say an epidemic because that, that's a negative connotation, but it's almost like a virus spreading right. where it just you just don't know when it's going to stop because Houston went in, uh, it, it got to Stafford a little bit, then Stafford turned into Sugarland, and Sugarland was the, the right. next hot city, and that turned into Katy and Cinco Ranch and it just keeps going and going. And, um, you know, it, it's it's cool because that means more people are moving out there. You get to meet new people and that melting pot. But I'm like you where I miss the old days. Uh, and my old days are, you know, I'm, I'm only 32. So 
you've seen way more than I have with right. the changes. I'm only 47. Okay. So, get, yeah. Yeah, 47, but you still right. got 15 years on me. And you've, right. and you've seen it where I miss the old days of being able to drive, and there's not much traffic in Sugarland. Or if you're heading out right. to Katy, there's not much traffic. You just know going to go right, right through now it's like a, it's an hour just to get to places it's it really is and, yeah <coughs> excuse me and with that i think we've kind of grown used to the traffic and it's just it's part of life, if someone yeah. says they live 45 minutes an hour away it's just not a big deal for us yeah and to where others from smaller areas it may seem far but from here to sugarland for example it's what 25 30 miles and it just seems down the road yeah and uh, there's just so much growth, you don't know where it will end. It's part of life now where you just, right. I tell, uh, we had a um, Kirsten who works here. She just moved out to the Katy area from uh, Bel Air. Right. And I told, and she, you know, the first day she drove to work, I was like, so how bad was it? Traffic on I 10 or whatever road you take. It's horrible, right? Uh, right. You, I don't think you have to deal with morning traffic that much. Well, no, because fortunately, from I live in the Katy area yeah. and I go south. Okay. So I go to Richmond where my office is. Nice. And I don't hit any traffic going there and then coming home. I don't really hit any. Yeah. I think 1463 is, your listeners will probably agree, is probably the worst road in Fort Bend County oh my or gosh. in the Katy area. Yeah. It's only two lanes still and it's so much growth in the Fulcher area. Fulcher is just booming mm-hmm. and uh, it's created a tremendous amount of north south traffic and that's the only artery for you know coming up it's, is 1463 yeah like uh out in the richmond area i used to take my daughter to a swimming class that was off of uh, uh old katie road and we used to take 1463 so right after 99 it turns into that two lane it, it is it's like not even worth it's not even worth fighting you're just like you know what <coughs> better figure something else out because it's just not worth the headache but um i was telling kirsten like it's so bad 45 minutes an hour Man, if we as a society, as a city, as a county, whatever, can figure out traffic, wouldn't that just increase the happiness of people by at least like 70%? Well, I will say it's the number one complaint we receive from any resident, Yeah, um, especially in neighborhoods, where have you. The, tra- the biggest complaint we receive about anything at all in law enforcement is, is traffic related. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, be it in the neighborhoods, trying to get home. Uh, take if you're going west, the West Park Tollway is just gridlocked all the way yep. now, and it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just something for us in law enforcement. It's difficult to deal with, difficult to keep up with. People want more enforcement, and then be careful what you wish for. Then they yeah. don't want the enforcement. So what happens with that? So when a complaint like that comes in, like, hey, traffic. You guys obviously know traffic is an issue for everyone. Right. Citizens will complain about it. It's something that everyone knows is an issue. So do you work with other agencies are you internally like trying to figure out can we you know put this in place or that in place what is happening like what is the research that goes into trying to solve an issue as big as traffic well it depends on what it is (coughs) i'm sorry if uh if it's something to deal with a road for example i called on my way here i was on the phone with texas department transportation Mm -hmm. making them aware of an issue we're having on 1463 for example where a contractor took away a turn lane and now it's caused it to back up two miles in the evenings and if it's for enforcement, uh, there are other agencies, the constables, as you see, patrol the area. Uh, we'll let them know of complaints we're receiving in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest thing residents can do in neighborhoods is help us help you by not being part of the problem. Yeah. Everyone always thinks it's someone else. But when we go do enforcement in neighborhoods, it's almost always residents of that neighborhood. And uh, that that's what makes it difficult for us because we know they live there. But when you're... Speeding through school zones in your own neighborhood, well, we're sorry that you live here, but you still get the same ticket. Yeah. How much is uh, how much have cell phones caused in this traffic nightmare? 
I would say quite a bit. As anybody can say, it's hard to drive. And if you just look around, I would guess 70, 80 percent of people you see are on the phone. Absolutely. And it's the same if we just stand on the side of the road that we, we see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's surprising. Texas is one of only four states that doesn't have some laws regulating texting. Yeah. So we all know it's a problem. It's, it's we've a, all done it. I've done it. I mean, yeah. we're, I'm not, we're not naive and say I didn't. I haven't done it too. But we've all seen that person up there driving 15, 20 miles per hour under the speed limit or, or weaving like they're drunk mm-hmm. because they're trying to text or even type emails or who knows what. Take pictures. It's, it's right. Take pictures while they're driving. Yeah. Right. You've seen that as well. It's a, it's, it's a definite problem. And even with a law, I don't know, it'll take so long to change that behavior mm-hmm. that's become so normal. It's so frustrating when I when we're driving in Houston and I'm with my wife. You know, we can like everyone can point it out right away because if, if you're in a good flow of traffic, everything's right. going great, and all of a sudden you'll just see some you see brake lights or you see somebody just going a little bit slower, 10, 15 miles below, and you know immediately what's happening. Right. Immediately, you know it's somebody on the phone, and if it's not somebody on the phone, it's, if if it's an uh, an older driver, that's fine. You know, right. like. It, you want them to go speed limit, obviously, but you understand. That's cool. But when it's somebody on a cell phone, I get so frustrated. And like I tweeted this out the other day. We need to come up with an international sign, like a double honk or something to let everyone know that get get off your phone. Like cut this out. Right. And you're I do it. I do it time to time. When I'm at a stoplight, it's hard not to pick up your phone and just check. But when you're going 70 miles per hour, 70 plus, 65, whatever it is. You gotta get off your phone. It is. It's so dangerous and frustrating. It is dangerous, and I, I just think so many don't recognize how dangerous that is with mm-hmm. the going seventy miles per hour in a four thousand pound car. That how dangerous that is. I wonder how many parents know that younger than eighteen can't use a cell phone in a car. Um, so you see, you can go stand around a high school and you see the high school kids driving in talking on their phones. Yeah. And they're not supposed to be. So younger than 18 can get a ticket for that. Oh, I didn't know that was a law. Yes. Oh, younger, really? younger than 18. You can't and use the phone. Wow. No. And you'll see kids doing it. You see them texting just like everybody else. And because most parents don't realize that, yeah. I believe. So what are some of the solutions? What can we do to cut that out? Well, we have to start with ourselves. And that's what's so hard for anyone to do is, mm-hmm. uh, are you going to put it in the back seat? No, because then you'll be reaching for it because it's going to drive you crazy. And yeah. That's just the reality of it. But I do think with this legislative session that a law will pass. I'm pretty confident the way it's going in the, in the session right now that it will come about. It'll be interesting to see how it's worded. I know Sugarland recently passed an ordinance that's, yeah. that's pretty strict. And they haven't really started the enforcement phase. They're still giving warnings. And I haven't spoken to any of their guys over there to see how they're enforcing it or how it's being received. Usually not very well, I imagine. Oh, I'm sure people. I had no idea that. Well, right. no, there have been signs all over Sugarland saying right. starting. I think it was March 17th. I believe it went in effect, or March 7th right. around there. I think they're doing 90 days of warning. Yeah. So, and we were in uh, we were in Bear County over the weekend, San Antonio, and they have a no cell phone policy. Like you cannot use your phone. Surprisingly enough, guess what? Traffic was flowing nice, and there it, yeah. I didn't notice anybody on their phones. And I, I wasn't aware I think, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's been in uh, it's been in place for a year and a half or two years. I want to say it's been a while now because mm-hmm. I have family there, so we go a lot. Right, and the signs are up there. You, I mean, everywhere at almost every intersection, you see some kind of reminder: get off your phone. You will be fine. There's no warnings over there now because right. it's been past that uh, 90-day warning. But, man, it does. You, I didn't notice as many. And I look out for that all the time because I am a stickler on that now. 
you know, I think everyone's aware that you're not supposed to do it in school zones, mm-hmm. yet people still do. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's a difficult behavior to change, a difficult habit for us to break, mm-hmm. um, for all of us, myself included. So you started with Stafford, then where'd you move on to? Sugarland Police. Sugarland Police. Mm-hmm. How long were you there? About eight years. Eight years. So mm-hmm. what were yours? I was probably 96 to 04. Oh my. So the biggest growth, I think, right. uh, in Sugarland has been right. around there. Right. I was hired as part of a big annexation they did. Okay. It was a big uh, annexation they did and the growth. And I only left there was because I went with uh, Troy Nels when he became constable. Mm-hmm. I went become his chief deputy for eight years there at the constable's office. And uh, Troy Nels is now the sheriff. He is uh, now the sheriff. Yeah, Fort Bend County. Um, right. So you're there for the, the biggest growth. Uh, right. You saw, uh, I, I, that's actually when I got there, 96, mm-hmm. is, it, it used to be, and it's really cool. I went to a, um, I went to a session with the mayor, Sri mayor, and they were talking about how the demographics of Fort Bend County, Sugarland, they've changed so much in the last 15 years where it used to be a traditional neighborhood where there was a lot of white males or like white families, some African-Americans, but there was, mm-hmm. there wasn't as many ethnic mm-hmm. families there. And now it's turned into that, you know, Pakistanis, Indians, Asians, uh, everywhere, all the, uh, the ethnics are the majorities now in, uh, in Sugarland. Right. It's great. So you saw that change happening. That must've right. been really cool to see the melting pot actually starting it, to melt in front it, of your eyes. It eye. is. And they say, I think Sugarland's around 40%. Um, Asian mm-hmm. and it's uh, at Rice University, even with studies, it said Fort Bend County is one of the most diverse counties in the country yeah. by how it's split. It isn't as some counties are where it might be 50% Hispanic or 20% of this. It's, it's pretty evenly split amongst uh, white, Asian, Indian, black, Hispanic, and it, it's made it a, a really great county by do, doing that. Mm-hmm. We have so many different dynamics. It's for officers, you've had to learn how to work with different cultures. Yeah. Um, different cultures uh, see law enforcement differently. So officers go through specific training on that so that, you know, there's many times I've gone to a house in Sugarland, I've taken my shoes off at the front porch. Really? Right. Yeah, that's that's not, their culture, and yeah. you don't want to disrespect that. And we, we recognize that and have to embrace it. That's cool. I, yeah, I didn't even think about that point of it where right. you as you know officers would have to learn about the other cultures that are moving in so you can you can handle them correctly. Right. You know, because in, in most... Well, respectfully. And respectfully, sorry. Respectfully. Right. And right. Because this is the, the unfortunate part of things where people will see officers at the worst time. When they're, in, you know, something right. bad is happening, that's when you see an officer. You would like to see them and you, you engage with them at community events and all that. But when you call an officer, when you call 911, it's probably right. because something bad is happening. Right. And you have to be at your best because that's a stressful moment for a citizen. Right. Right, and I'm not going to, depending on the type of call, I'm not going to take yeah. my boots off the front porch. Yeah. But if it's a, a visit or they're inviting you in because mm-hmm. they just wanted to talk or meet, and that would happen a lot with different people in Sugarland, is that, and that's when I would. And uh, it wasn't that uncommon. And we just, we accepted it and move on and have some great friends in that community. And you learn about them, they learn about you. Yeah, it's a really cool community. Sugarland is, it's just outstanding. Uh, I grew up there, went to high school there. And by the time I got to high school in 99, it, it had already become a huge melting pot. There were a lot of Pakistanis, Indian, Asian families there, in addition to all the white families, African-American families. And right. I don't think a lot of neighborhoods get that kind of melting pot. They really don't. That They really don't. And yeah. it depends. It's interesting as law enforcement that we go around these different communities, you'll see a neighborhood is they kind of clump together. Different mm-hmm. cultures will live together. Yeah. And as you see, I mean, from Sugarland to Missouri City to Katy, 
it's 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 like that mm-hmm. and it's uh kind of a normal way now you know in our culture in so i grew up my my family grew up in pakistan or my parents grew up in mm-hmm. pakistan and uh usually the way karachi the the city that my parents grew up in the way it's broken down is by the sect of islam you're in so uh you know we our sect would live in like certain communities and they were built just for them. And, right. you know, you have the mosque right next door. So it's very, it's all about that. And, and you, you form that way of living. And right. when all the families moved over here to Houston, which is one of the biggest uh, cities for Muslims and South Asians in right. general, they all started living in like, so what would happen? Uh, the first wave came in, they all lived in a leaf. Mm-hmm. And then some families started moving out to Sugarland, and all of right. a sudden you see everyone going out there because that's just the way they grew up living is you always want to be near your community. And that's where it like goes back right. to what you're saying. You see these patches. It's so cool to see. Uh, and like I can give you the exact movement. So uh, there were some apartments right out, right next to First Colony, um, the Austin Colony Apartments, right. and a lot of South Asian families moved in there. And then new territory opened up, right. and they all moved there. Then from there it was Telfair. From Telfair, it's now Riverstone. Mm-hmm. You'll just see these migration patterns. And there's so a very fat. large mosque now out, out yeah. in New Territory. Absolutely, and yeah. that one. Oh, the, the traffic right there on. Um, oh, what's that uh, road? Sartasha. Yeah, right next to Sartasha, but that Hill. road, uh, Sand Hill. Right. So my mother-in-law lives. She's like four houses, uh, right off that road. So during Ramadan, we never go over because right. we know it's just going to be a forty-five minute block because right. so many people are going in there. Um, then you've got the Ismaili Center off of uh, Sweetwater and right. uh, 59. That that's part. That's the mosque that I'm part of, mm-hmm. and it is so cool to see not only bonding with the Sugarland officers and how you know you're part of the community now, but it, the respect level that goes both ways has really played a big part of this. Make making Sugarland a great place. Richmond, Katy, all these places a really cool place. And, and I think a lot of that is education on both sides mm-hmm. and so while we the sheriff goes to that mosque in new territory all the time yeah and uh, they all know him very well and he gets invited there quite often to go in there on fridays at two o'clock and yeah. speak to him and and he will and so they know certain crimes whatever they they have his cell phone number and they'll the leaders will call him directly for things and it kind of helps quell quash rumors or anything else that might be going on in that community that we not, may not be aware of yeah so when you're at a uh, when you're on a city level and working for a city police department, I'm sure the challenges are different than working for an actual county sheriff's department, right? right? Like, what are the different challenges that you would well, the, face? Well, the biggest different dynamic is that when you're working for a city, you have a, a chief of police who reports to a city manager, who then there's a city council and there's a mayor, and for the sheriff, well, he is the boss. You know, we're not under commissioner's court or anybody else because he is also an elected official. And so we've had people, you know, Sheriff Nell's upset people before, and they've called and said, well, I want to know who his boss is. Everybody has a boss. So, well, you're his boss. You're a voter. Don't vote for him next time if you're upset. And that's just the the way politics work. So for me, working for him, uh, obviously a deputy sheriff is simply that. You're a deputy of him, and you have to understand that you're representing him Mm -hmm. in the community. And uh, it's a... It's interesting for us, so we always have to make sure we're doing that right presentation and being professional and doing what we can because you are representing the sheriff versus so many different bosses, so to speak, in a city. Yeah. How, uh, how tough is it working for the sheriff where you've got, you've got so many cities under you and so many different departments? I'm sure that, that juggling act right. of making sure everyone's happy and 
all that has got to be exhausting. Well, the cities, uh, the city police, we're not over them, so to speak. We all work well together, though. Okay. We'll call them. They call us if you need help uh, with a big situation. And uh, even though the sheriff is considered the chief law enforcement officer for the county, and that would be more in an, an emergency or disaster type role, but we cover the unincorporated area of Fort Bend as their primary law enforcement. Okay. Um, Fort Bend, there's close to 800,000. About 400,000 of those are in the unincorporated area, like wow. where you live. Yeah. So we work, we cover about half the county. We have about 825 employees. About 500 of those are sworn deputies. Man. And so it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit. Absolutely. And you're, uh, so like how hard is it managing all these guys and, and women, you know, just, I'm sure it's just got to be crazy, the logistics have, behind it. It is. And we have so many different uh, divisions and you have first line supervisors and you know, a regular chain of command structure, just like the military. And that's why those that come from the military work so well. They're so used to it. Yeah. And uh, each of those, they manage their own areas and it, and it works very well. But with the sheriff's office, we have so much support and so many different divisions that we even have our own helicopters. You know, we, we, we're completely self-sufficient now yeah. in Fort Bend County. So uh, do you guys have to report to the state at any point or no. it's just this is the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Department and that's it? That's it. Man. Right. That's cool. Right. Now, during a disaster, you know, the county yeah. judge is considered the emergency manager for the county. And obviously the biggest disaster we had was last summer, about this time, when the Brazos River flooded. That was. And it was 140 square miles of Fort Bend was flooded. So that's something we dealt with quite significantly and the mm -hmm. state brought in resources when we requested the game wardens brought in airboats and, and things along those lines but there's there's no reporting structure uh, for, for law enforcement how nuts was that event last year the tax day floods and then the constant rain afterwards uh, the brazos is a big part of fort bend county right goes through so many different portions and uh, parts and you know everyone knows it if you grew up there how crazy was that last year? Well, it was such a large part of the county, starting in Symington. Symington was probably, it was obviously hit the worst. Mm -hmm. Some communities out there had three foot of water in their homes. Man. And uh, parts of FM 1093 were flooded for two miles. It was uh, quite a large event for us to cover it from Symington diagonally through the entire county, all the way through Foster towards Pecan Grove, mm -hmm. Highway 90, parts of backside of New Territory. Yeah. All these different areas flooded, and it was just a, just a very large-scale event for us to see what happens. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, when you're going down 90 towards Richmond, um, you know, like right, it was a 359, right. I believe, is where the homes over there, they had to evacuate. right. And I'm sure they're used to that right. because they live right on the banks, a lot of the homes there. Well, they, they, the neighborhood's even called River's Edge. Yeah. But so, they, there was people in the neighborhood thought there's no way they're going to flood. Yeah. And they quickly learned that you're living right on the edge of that river and it and it even surprised us how high it came up yeah but, because and it was all the rain from the north also up in bryan colonization yeah, they get about 20 down. inches the tax day flood flooded parts of katie yeah for us but it was the rain after that up in bryan that came down the river mm -hmm. so to speak the crest moved down the river and flooded us yeah that's uh i've never seen brazos that high it's when you go down <coughs> 99 by new territory and there's that bridge right by the sports complex Right. I mean, it was hugging. It, it was touching under the bridge. And right. if you, I went to the sports complex. Right. Because I've played so many football games there. So I know the area and I know the Brazos is right there. The entire soccer field was a lake. There were right. guys fishing in there. Right. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Well, it, was, it got, it reached 55 feet. Man. And I think the highest it's ever reached 
uh, recorded as 61. And that was, I believe, back in the 60s. Yeah. But so obviously for all of us, modern times, this is certainly the highest we've seen. And hopefully we won't see it again. Yeah. But now, like anytime I see any kind of rains up like uh, up in that right. area, I'm just like, oh, no, here we go again. Well, the Brazos River Basin is from here to Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. So if you remember that, just anything between here and Fort Worth, when we see that heavy rain, I believe Waco got some rain last week. And, yeah. And we watch it, too, because the river did go up. It was only at about 16 feet. It was down pretty low. Yeah. And now it's up to 35 again, if you went by. It uh, rises pretty rapidly. The The other thing from that day, I had a chance. So we, we traveled to Arlington, and we, we took a, a private flight out. So that was pretty cool. But when they fly back in from Dallas to Houston, it goes over, like, Katy and kind of right. Sugarland area and, and turns back into um, uh, around the hobby area. Man, you, when you see how widespread the flooding was, yeah, I, I can't even imagine how much property damage there was, and it was just a fearful time for families that were out there. You know, we, I was lucky. I'm in a newer neighborhood, so it wasn't that bad. But man, I can't even imagine. Well, you, that's why you see so many levees now mm -hmm. around some of these communities because so much of Fort Bend is in the floodplain. Uh, some of the neighborhoods out in Symington are actually in the floodway wow. where the river naturally flows. Their neighborhoods built in the 50s and probably should never been built, but they're there now and they're, they're having to deal with it. And it's uh, having three foot of water literally rushing through their house, yeah. not just standing water, but rushing. Well, it was pretty devastating. So with all this growth that's happened in Fort Bend County and, you know, with all the cities that are part of that, the Richmond Rosenberg area, and that area is still getting bigger and it's growing even more as you go 59 north, which now 69. Um, and then Richmond, it's it constantly just adding new neighborhoods. Sugarland, we already know we talked about that. Do you think uh, all these cities, they have they done a good job of planning for this growth or is it learn on the fly? I think Sugarland has probably done the best. Mm -hmm. um, City of Folster is going through some growing pains because now they're getting the brunt of that growth. There's a lot of new development coming in out there. There's a big development coming in in Symington that may still be a few years away, but it's going to be it's it's much larger than First Colony or anything else coming wow. in way out there. And one of the bigger cities people don't realize land wise in Fortman County is Folster, not Sugarland. Everyone thinks it's Sugarland yeah. population wise, but land wise it's Folster. So. Maybe not when you and I are alive, but mm -hmm. Fulcher will be the biggest city in, in Fort Bend County eventually. Yeah, it's only natural because as you start heading out that way, right, every city's gonna it's gonna grow naturally. And you hate to see all this cattle land slowly becoming neighborhoods, which mm -hmm. is what's happening all the way from you know, from Richmond Rosenberg all the way to Sealy. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate. Um now like in my we've been there for four years now, about four years. And just in our time, you know, you brought brought up the cattle land that's there. That there's cattle land right there off Harlem in '99. It's an HEB now, right? Target about to uh, right. be put in there, and it's the, the amount of growth and how businesses capture on this growth so fast. It's fascinating, and like just seeing all the construction and all that stuff. It, it's crazy to see how fast this happens. The challenge of this many people being moved into an area this fast because it happens overnight, almost three months to build a house now. You can get new houses put up in just a heartbeat. What kind of challenges does it present for your, for the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office? Well, it, it's difficult for us to keep up with, uh, provide, keeping our level of service, keeping our response times down. Mm -hmm. When you have, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people a year moving into Fort Bend County, well, that's bigger than the size of Rosenberg every year moving in. Man. And so you think about how big the Rosenberg Police Department is. And for us, the Sheriff's Office providing their service. Mm -hmm. We've been very fortunate that we keep our response times 
even for a low response call, it's staying under 15 minutes. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good. So you think about trying to get anywhere in Katy area in 15 minutes is pretty hard to do. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hope that helicopter is gassed right. up, right? And certainly just drive across Sugarland and Missouri City is difficult yeah. in that amount of time. And so we're we're doing what we can, managing uh, how the deputies are deployed, you know, spreading them out. Some areas grow, so hopefully some areas are – we still have a very large rural area in Fortman County. You get out towards Needville and Damon and – going towards East Bernard on Highway 90, there's still lots of cattle land out there. There's still lots of rural areas, but the areas that we have growth are extremely dense. I'd say one of the bigger challenges we have is that these areas are as dense as, as we are right here in the gallery area in Houston, are, yeah. but you don't have the same kind of, we don't have city ordinances, mm-hmm. fireworks are legal, all that kind of stuff that are legal because it's still considered a rural area. So what will it take to get is it just the annexation process, or how do you, how do you get these laws that are here in Houston over to those kind of cities and kind of bring them forward to make it more like Houston, if that's what they want? Well, right? they'd have to be annexed. Yeah, you no, know, ca- uh, counties can't pass ordinances to control fireworks, to mm-hmm. limit noise, things like that. Those are our biggest complaints, and they're completely legal out there. And huge areas like Cinco Ranch which are future Houston. Houston has the rights to annex all that. Everything out there along Grand Parkway, essentially. I don't know that they'll annex in our lifetime. Yeah, uh, it, It'll take a very long time, and you never hear of any plans of them doing that. Sugarland is going through the process right now. In December, they're annexing Greatwood and New Territory. Yeah, uh, I've heard that's the process right now. So that that's uh, probably 50,000 residents that will no longer serve for the sheriff's office. Wow. And that and, and Sugarland's ready for that, I think. But Sugar, they are. They're yeah, preparing. They're, they're, they're hiring prepared. lots of officers. Yeah, and the Sugarland right. Police Department has changed so much also in, in the last 20 years that, you know, they're ready for it. Sugarland's starting to become a pretty dang good city, <laughs> you know, nationwide. I mean, right. They've invested so much not only in the the public service and the, and the public works and all that, but also the entertainment side of things. And it's pretty cool to see that for Sugarland. Uh, but specifically Fort Bend County now with, you know, that growth and you mentioned – the officers, because the growth isn't just, it's not just your traditional American growth in terms of white families moving out there. It's a lot more ethnic families going in there. And, and you mentioned this, you kind of have to, you got to know how to deal with them and treat them respectfully. Do you start hiring differently also and start hopefully bringing in officers of the culture? Well, we try, but traditionally and for every agency, all of law enforcement, those cultures typically don't go into law enforcement. Yeah. Um, you don't see a lot of Asians, not because we're not trying. It's because they're just not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, they just traditionally don't. Uh, we, we have, a, I think, a fair spread of white, black, Hispanic, male, female. Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, attracting the different cultures, it, it's difficult to recruit them into law enforcement. Is that something you guys are going to focus on eventually is trying to get these different cultures in? Well, we do try, and we meet with different groups. And, um, in fact, the head of our reserves, we have a large reserve corps of deputies, and he's Turkish. Really? and That's cool. He has four college degrees, and he's an attorney, but he does it because he enjoys it, and that's why he only does it part-time, because he wouldn't make enough money doing it full-time. Yeah. He likes his real time, his full-time job. But uh, we try with those cultures, just as Houston does and others, and it's uh, you go out and you target them and you speak to them, and, mm-hmm. but they just seem to be steered away from it. So how can citizens get more involved to help, to help make y'all's job a little bit easier and also to give back to the community, whether it be through right. a, a deputy officer or, uh, right. excuse me, what was the term you just used? Um, reserves. Reserves. Sorry. Right. Well, reserves, reserves are yeah. actually full, fully trained peace officers. Okay. So they have the same license I do, the same training. 
a lot of them used to be full-time and they went into private sector and they want to keep their license up. So they work for us on a volunteer basis. Uh, we have a Citizens Police Academy, and from that, we get volunteers that then come work in our building, helping us. Uh, a lot of retirees are, will come and work in our records or help us when we do certain things. They come out and support us or oh, that's cool. work with the fire department, you know, on large fires and things like that. So the, uh, the is there a course that people can take to become a well, peace officer? Or Well, the, you can take a, a basic peace officer course. Okay. But if you were to take it full time, it is six months of 40 hours a week. Wow. And we offer that. We have a regular academy. And typically, obviously, it's, it's hard to do unless you're independently wealthy or that's, yeah. gonna, that's your job. And, and you can also, we do have a part-time course as well. But still, that course is from February to November. So by doing it part-time, it stretches it way out. Do you think there should be some kind of course or a class in high school that every student or every citizen has to go through? Because you as an officer, you go through these trainings and you, you understand how to be respectful and how to treat people in certain situations. Should there be a recommended course where citizens have to go through that and know that, hey, when you're dealing with an officer, you have to understand that they're also in a stressful situation. And here's how you do it. And here's how you should you should be. Maybe it could be like a two-hour course or it could be a high school course. Should there be something like that? Well, you know, there's legislation for that right now. Good. Okay. Senator Whitmire trying to get that passed. But is that something the schools need to do? Do the schools have to be everybody's parent? Uh, or can't parents be mm-hmm. parents and teach their kids respect? I uh, think that's something we see less and less of. You yeah. see lots of smart aleck kids now. 12 year olds that talk back to us. And yeah. when I was 12, I would never have done that Absolutely. to a police officer. And it's just so commonplace now. And so do we blame that? And we say, okay, well now we're going to make the schools mm-hmm. teach kids how to be respectful to law enforcement when that should be done at home. And, and unfortunately it's less and less. Yeah, And you're right. And, and that is something that the parents should have to, and like not should have to do, they should want to do because right. that is like a lot of people don't understand this is you guys are risking your life. Maybe not in every situation, but you are in certain situations and you're there making our lives easier and safer for the fact that parents don't do that. But that paradigm has already shifted. Right. So how do you combat that? You know, I, I get what you're right. saying is like, why are we doing it? Why should we have to do it in high school? But even for, I would say, anybody, if you live in Fort Bend County or in one of the cities, wherever it may be, you have to, by law, go in on a Saturday once a year, take a two-hour course, and just everyone gets on the same page. Because it, yeah. it is a difficult time now or perceived difficult time where you know, there have been a lot of cases with law enforcement and citizens, and it's been made public. Um, I think a lot of that could be avoided. Well... I think they could probably 99% be avoided mm-hmm. with simple compliance. Yeah. You know, may I see your driver's license? Sure, here it is. Mm-hmm. Instead of, why do you need to see my driver's license? Well, it's just simple compliance mm-hmm. makes it easy for all of us. You know, the right. side of the road isn't court. Plead not guilty and go to court, and then you argue about it later. But yeah. so, as you said, so many now want to question authority on everything. It's not just for law enforcement. It's mm-hmm. talk to a teacher and see what they say. It's they have a very difficult job I wouldn't want to do. No. And it's, as you said, it's that shift in just how a lot of our society is now, unfortunately. I don't even know when it started. It's, a, it's such a weird thing because I'm 15 years younger than you, but I had the same thing. I would right. never, ever talk back to any officer. Like I am. Right. You respect their authority, right? Like, obviously, you respect my authority, like the South Park thing. Right. But you do. You do. There, there was never any, I didn't have enough courage to ever talk. If an officer pulls you no. over, 
during your best behavior, you had hands on the wheel, you, yes, right. sir, no, you sir. Were, you were scared. Yeah, you were scared. Right. And I don't, yeah, that fear is gone. I don't know when it, like, do you, do you have any idea when it kind of started? Because these high school kids, they're out of control now. It is. I, I don't know. There's no way to really pinpoint where that yeah. was. But it's it certainly, maybe as we, as we started with social media, a lot of that yeah. doesn't help. Uh, the social media is so prolific for everybody now. Mm-hmm. Every kid is on Snapchat or Twitter or something. Yeah. And there's so much of it on there that spreads, true or not, on media and social yeah. media. And you know, that, that's kind of the other thing of, well, I have no fear because guess what? I'm recording you. So now we'll find out who's right or wrong. Right. And that's great in certain, certain situations. I love transparency. That's great. But it also it gives you the it knocks down that fear wall of, oh, right. well, this officer can't do anything to me because I'm recording you so I can be a smart ass now. Right. And it's I well, can't we're, we're recording that, you, too. And that's yeah. <laughs> what and that's what a lot of people aren't or they seem to forget because mm-hmm. there's been uh, lots of complaints. People come in and allege all kinds of things yeah. uh, that an officer said this or he touched me this way or did something. And when we say, well, let's have a look at his uh dash cam and see what he really did and you find that none of it occurred so the the video as you said some seem to think it may hurt you but Mm -hmm. i think it's more of our friend it helps us too yeah how much has it helped since uh, and does now every officer wear a body cam no we don't have body cams okay just dash cam right we've had cameras in our cars all of our officers wear audio recorders okay but uh we just haven't moved on to the to the body cams yet there's still so much Behind that, so much undecided with what's going to be public of the video. Mm-hmm. If I walk inside your house, is that video public? That's a good point. Yeah. And if your kid just sit on the couch, when well, I have a video of a juvenile, is that public too? And it's going to take someone's full-time job to sit and just redact video yeah. when someone does open records requests. Yeah, so is there a lot of research being done right now with that? Because I know some agencies or some cities have already, uh, around the nation, they're like, yeah, we're going full body cam. Right. But uh, I, I'm sure, like, at, uh, you guys have conventions and conferences, you know, right. sharing your best practices. Has that been a big thing right now? Well, it's, it's always a big topic of discussion. Okay. And I'm, I'm not, I haven't seen Houston's policy. I know I've seen some of their camera footage, but mm-hmm. we just haven't bought, bought into the body cams yet. We're kind of waiting to let everybody else iron out yeah. the details and then do it before we yeah. bite it off. Because as we said, it, it's going to be a big job trying to record or maintain all the recordings and comply with requests for those recordings yeah and that that alone it's just a request it's going to be right unreal because every citizen's going to be well no i was wrong so i know well, what they say i want to see yeah. all of you know Hill's video for the last five days yeah think about what you did for five days eight hours a day mm-hmm. and as i said you walk into someone's house and as it is now if you send us an open record request and we think you shouldn't have it we can't decide that ourselves. it has mm-hmm. to go to the attorney general's office so it's going to overwhelm them even more than they are now. Ah, that's a great, yeah. I don't know. I don't think a lot of people have thought about that side of it. You right. Know, so, well, you're going to give all eight hours up or not? That's right. a great point. Well, but, but you use, think about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. If they see the inside of your house, and then someone just doesn't open, open records request, and they say, well, he's got a great TV and a great sound system. and Just scouted place. <coughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's fascinating right. uh, to right. think of it from that uh, standpoint. So um, last year, when tensions were high, obviously around the nation, did you guys feel any of that? Was there were you guys on edge a little bit, or was it just business as usual uh, with the, the sheriff's department? You know, we we were very fortunate in Fort Bend County. We have a great community, very supportive. Almost daily, people are coming by bringing in cookies, brownies for the deputies, yeah. and we haven't seen any of it. I wouldn't say there's any area of Fort Bend County that our deputies are hesitant to go to or 
know if they go to, there better be two of them, uh, anything like that. We're, we're very fortunate to have a, a great solid community and we're, we're we feel embraced everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. And it, it, as we said earlier, it starts with that social media. There's so many, you go into those areas and you're always communicating with these neighborhoods and we know who the contacts are. And it's just, uh, we, we haven't felt any of that. We're, yeah. Our deputies are cautious. We talk about it in roll call. So, hey, be careful and, hey, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't get complacent. But large, our, we have a great community. We really yeah. don't feel that anywhere. And, and it's, uh, again, it goes back to the community, like you mentioned. It's, it's right. such a cool community because there's so many different people. Uh, and, and I said this last year on, on, on the show is when we were talking about it, I was like, I wish I could add a story here. But all my dealings have been very positive. Right. And look, for the most part, you know, when you're in the wrong, you know, right. when you're in the wrong, just there's this like human ego of not admitting it. And you start arguing with somebody, you know, you were wrong. And if you don't think you were wrong, go to court. Right. Prove your prove your innocence. And that's fine. Right. Uh, certain situations, you can't do that. And, you know, we saw all the videos and all, all that stuff last year. But I would say 99 percent of people, 99.5, maybe even they have great dealings. And. Right one out of however many cases where this does come up it, it it's something that has to be addressed absolutely as a society we got to talk about it we got to figure out how to avoid it but i wish more people talked about all the millions of great instances where police officers and citizens well look we came to this conclusion i was wrong you were right or you were right i was wrong whatever and everything's good we go about our day and, and right. fix it i wish there was more of that positive coverage and but as you said that that's not it's not fun coverage for media. You know, mm-hmm. It's not sensationalized. And that's not what you're going to see more often than not. You're going to see yeah. the other side of it. That's why, you know, things like the alligator, we know it's going to get a lot of play yeah. when we take those pictures. Uh, we know what the media likes to see, what the public likes to see. <clears throat> so we, we try and take advantage of that. So what, uh, your daily routine, what, what happens? Like, what is your day-to-day? Uh, are you patrolling now? Or are no, you in I, I'm in the office. Okay. Um, if it's a, a high-profile incident, mm-hmm. I, I may go out there, especially if there's going to be if we know there's media going out there, and I'll usually know because I'll start getting text messages. Sure. I'll get the text messages from reporters often before I even wake up, and I'll know that really? something must be going on. And that's just uh, the way it works with having to deal with the, the media is always happening. They're always working on the next story. Yeah. So we work with them, and we try to engage and very receptive. And the reporters will tell you they, they enjoy working with us because of that. Yeah. And do you miss patrolling at all? No, no, no. I, I, I still go out. I mean, my, I'm, I'm in a marked car uh-huh. and I'll leave the office and go out and I don't ride around. I don't pull over people and all that. But yeah. it's uh, you get tired of it after a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that like uh, when you first start up? You, you know, it, this is all based on movies and TV shows like the right. the new cop is going to get the worst area or the most boring job. And they just kind of have to work their way up. Well, what, what's it like? Well, they definitely gonna get probably the worst shift. OK, because the shifts go by seniority and it's. 24-7 has to be covered, yeah. which means somebody's days off are Tuesday and Wednesday, which aren't desirable. And you might be working from 2P to 10P, and your days off are Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, that's not you know, great. But yeah. fortunately, most at that time are still young and single, and doesn't really matter. But yeah. it's harder when you get older and you're married or you have kids, and people want that normal life. And it just it takes a while to move to that. But you do start out with, and you're just – Working patrol, riding around, answering calls, writing tickets, and getting into your routine. And so you're in your car at that point when you're patrolling for, is it like six out of eight hours, eight hours in a row, and you're just well, driving around? and Probably six and a half of that eight hours. They're 
Now, taking calls in consideration. Yeah, but, yeah, taking but, calls. But right. But you figure in the beginning, they're having to they do the ro- regular roll call like you've seen on TV. Yeah. And then at the end of the shift, they might have paperwork to do. So it takes some of the eight hours away. How much paperwork is really in law enforcement? Well, it depends on, on what it is. Be- because of lawyers finding loopholes and everything else, one of the reports that's the longest are DWIs. Really? They're very lengthy for officers. Uh, they take several hours, lots of documentation, lots of forms. But uh, just the day-to-day regular reports, you can knock them out pretty, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so then if I'm patrolling now, you're in an office space where you are just uh, you're just making sure everything's going smoothly. What, what's happening? Well, in your my office is next to the sheriff's. There's okay. three of us up front, uh, myself and the sheriff and the chief deputy. And there's just there's always something to discuss or something going on or the different areas I'm directly over might come and talk to me or have an issue or something we need to decide. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a different facet of it. Was it crazy when you got into the office environment and uh, you guys sit away from the rest of the, cause are you in that big Richmond courthouse in that area where you got, you are in there, right? So there's, uh, I want to say like a hundred people working there and probably more or less. Oh, How many people oh, are in our there? building? Yeah. Probably more than that. We more have, that. we have 61 dispatchers and they're in the building wow. and then another 60 probably detectives. So there's a, there's a few hundred people in the building. A lot of personalities there. Right. How tough is that? And the jail, the yeah. jail, the jail itself is also in our building. Oh, is it? Okay. And they have 340 employees themselves. Wow. Now, obviously not all at the same time, Yeah. but that's how many they have just assigned to the jail. How is it like adjusting to all those personalities in an office environment? Or was well, it, was you it just hard? have to get used to it. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we've all moved up, so we've, we're still police officers at heart. Mm-hmm. Most of us are, and that's, I'll still, I still enjoy going out, and I wear a uniform every day, even though I don't have to. Really? Uh, I do, and the, the sheriff does, I would say, 8 out of 10 days, he'll wear a uniform. And the previous sheriff in Fortman County, you never saw him in a uniform once. Wow. And it was just a, just a difference in philosophies. Yeah. There is that, there is that symbolic of like, hey, look, I'm still one of the guys, right? Uh, I right. have my uniform on just like you do. And uh, gosh, if I had a uniform, I would love that. It would take so much you know, guesswork out of <laughs> right. it. Like, I know what I'm wearing every day. Right. It does do that. Yeah. But, but it also connects you. And that's mm-hmm. what the, the public expects. And that's why the sheriff does it. Because... People expect, you know, the sheriff is law enforcement and law enforcement wears a uniform. Mm-hmm. And if, especially if we know it's uh, something going on in the media that day, then we definitely are always in uniform. And that's part of the reason I wear mine all the time, because you never know what's going to happen that day. So nor- your normal day to day, it's pretty standard. You're not there's nothing too crazy happening, right? Or you just Well, we, we get busy and if, like yeah. everything else, it goes in waves mm-hmm. and it kind of depends on what's going on with patrol out on the street or situation in, in different areas of the department so let me ask you this um and we got to start wrapping up here pretty soon gosh we, we're almost near an hour that was fast um do you think there's enough focus on uh just fitness and strength and conditioning kind of deal with officers not in fort Bend county just in general um is, is there some of that should there be more emphasis on it what do you think absolutely there should be more yeah. and we're working on that for ourselves right now it is difficult to see. No one likes to see the, the, the big fat guy, to put it bluntly, out there. And you yeah. know he can't chase you across this room. And it's, it's, it's hard to address that. But we're working on it. We've recently put together a committee to develop some kind of physical fitness program yeah. for our deputies. But some are resistant to it, and some try and fight it legally. But it's for their own good. It's, it is dangerous when they're overweight. And 
can't handle themselves. Why do you think that is? Well, is it just they just get complacent or there's no need for it? What do you think? Well, it's unfortunately, I recognize it's a health issue or a body issue mm-hmm. for certain people, but it's difficult to be like that if you're a policeman or a fireman. Yeah. It's a very physically demanding job, a firefighter even more so. And fortunately, they have the, the downtime between their naps that they can exercise. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, that's why they have gyms set up in <laughs> right. the firehouse, right? That's but it, it's, it is something that's needed and necessary. And there sh- I believe there should be a physical fitness requirement for law enforcement. It's yeah. for your own good. It's for your own good. And wouldn't you just, as, as somebody that's doing this job that is so rigorous, at t- like you can be in a situation where you need to have, you, you need to be ready, quick on your feet. You got to maybe save something, whatever it is. Right. Like you just as a person have to feel like, you know what? I want to be, I want to be optimized for this position. I want to be ready right. for this. Like, and not only with officers, I think in general, uh, it's crazy that people don't have this mentality of, man, I got to, you know, I want to be ready. I'm going to be fit. I'm going to be in shape. I want to extend my life out. It's crazy right. how that happens, you know? And it is. We all, life gets in the way. You get busy. Mm-hmm. Um, you go home and you want to exercise, but then you got to do something with the kids or the kids' homework yeah. or, or the kids have an activity to take them to. Uh, as I said, life gets in the way and we all get busy, but in certain careers, it's just not the right place for it. Yeah. My buddy, uh, Richard Burmaster, and uh, he, he's been on the podcast before. He works out at the lab, the performance lab in Katy across Katy Mills. And he's uh, he's been in MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the longest time. I mean, right. uh, he got in when it first started. And he always offers free training for all law enforcement officers. And I think a lot of that uh, in general with you know, students, I, I've been a proponent of this where every kid in the public school system should have to take at least two years of grappling, of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, where you learn that you, you learn that attitude of like, I'm the best, it gets snapped right away because there's right. always somebody better out there. You learn how to defend yourself and that adds with the self-confidence. But, uh, you know, and I know law enforcement officers, you guys go through the police academy and you focus on certain things. But, man, even for uh, – and I train with several police officers where they're in there grappling and they learn how to, you know, diffuse the situation with with grappling techniques and Brazilian jiu-jitsu techniques. That would be cool to see implemented across the board, not only with you guys, but in general for kids. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to see. I don't know if you've ever uh, – trained at all or anything like that well obviously in the military and then with police we go through a lot of that type of training but as you said it's there's lots of other people out there have had a lot more training than you yeah uh, it's easier to de-escalate with words uh staying calm not being part of the problem and mm-hmm. i'll watch videos where you see officers go into the situation wrong where they go yeah. in a little bit too loud a little bit too hot-headed which escalates it yeah and you can calm a lot of it just by yourself being calm and <clears throat> obviously it is necessary sometimes that you do have to fight and wrestle and mm-hmm. it, it is a vital skill you need. And if you're overweight, it's even harder if you can't absolutely pick yourself up off the ground. You know, it, it's nuts when you'll see guys come in and they're, you know, they're strong they're they just know that they're better than everybody, but then they'll run into a guy that's been training for years. And there's just certain things with the human body, no matter how strong you are, no matter how big you are, there are some points or leverage points that if you get a hold of it, Guess right. what? You're gonna go if your opponent gets a hold of it. You're gonna get. You're gonna go down. I mean, right. there's just no gravity is not gonna allow this. The human body is not gonna allow you to stay up. And when people learn that and they see that, okay, if I'm in this situation, somebody grabs my back, I know how to get out of this. Or if somebody's charging at me, I know how to get out of that. 
man, it is so cool to see that. And, and I grew up playing athletics. I grew up playing basketball, football, right. all that stuff. And I hadn't trained until I was 25. And when I got in there, oh my God, the first like month was the worst month of my life. But then right. when stuff starts clicking, like I feel more confident now. I'm, I don't go around looking for fights, but I know if I'm in a certain situation, I know how to get out of it. Right. And when you have that, you feel so much better. And I think that's one I've, I've argued this with so many people. I know our public school system, it's already at a disadvantage. The public mm-hmm. funding, the teachers, all that. You know, teachers are already stressed out. The kids are even worse now. Right. But, man, if you implement some kind of Brazilian jiu-jitsu program, I think that would change it. I, I think that would change so many behavior issues that we have. But, unfortunately, you'd still have the parents wanting to opt their kids out of it or they don't believe in violence and there, there's so many different, yeah, I, so many different variables with that. Uh, as with anything, you can't even get parents to all agree which book a kid should read. Such a good, that's a great point. <clears throat> let alone doing something physical. Man, it's it's a it's a weird time. It's a weird time. But uh, I wish I wish we could all just get on board, you know, right. and uh, get that going. I'm putting my my daughter's two years old, mm-hmm. and I've already started holding, you know, like holding my hands right. up for her, teaching her boxing, and telling her no, you can't hit. You got to be nice. Like you got to. Tell them when to do it, but man, I think every parent should be enrolling their kids sure. in, in something like that just for something just to build their confidence. Confidence, yeah, the confidence right. point of it, being able to defend yourself, you know, right. and teaching them the responsibility of when you learn something like this. Not everyone is fortunate enough to learn it, so you can't just go around just using it, you know, beating people up. That's not what you do with this. You got to be responsible with it. Just that right. that behavior also, I think, would change so much. Uh, okay, so I got to ask you your best story. Your best story from your years in law enforcement. I don't know if I can think of one on the spot. There's got to be one. It, it can be a wacky, funny one. It can be one, uh, you know, just your best, like it could have been a national story. I don't know. I, I, anything. It's always hard to think on the spot. Yeah. Things like that. And that's a question you get asked a lot of, of the best story. Um, so while you brainstorm, what is the most asked question you get as a, uh, as a well, law enforcement officer? <clears throat> well, you always get questions about, is this legal? Is this not legal? Uh, just, it's just different things, usually yeah. related to driving, uh, securing kids, just things like that. Uh, probably the most frequent type of thing we get called on. Okay, how many people reach out to you on a weekly basis saying, can you get me out of this ticket? There's usually a couple. couple a week. And even friends, close friends, and they... They've slowly learned now that I tell them, you know, I'm not getting involved in your ticket. Yeah. And you're just out of luck. Pay it, slow down, <laughs> do what you have to do. But that's a, that, that's a common one. It always has been when you're in law enforcement. Yeah. Even the sheriff gets those too, and he'll tell them, look. He's like, I have a hundred other things going on. And right. I'm not going to worry about you. For an officer, it's always it's just not a good practice to get into. Yeah. Helping people. Um, I, I asked you that question, how can citizens make your jobs easier and i think i cut you off uh and you didn't get a chance to answer that um how can citizens make citizens make your job easier and your your team's job easier well we always need help just by people willing to get involved okay uh pick up the phone make a phone call if you see something something going on you know you hear the the mantra so much of you see something say something and you'd be surprised how many emails we get or facebook messages of criminal activity people will see something going on so they'll send us a Facebook message. Well, we may not see that for 12 hours. And now it's not really helpful now. Yeah. And it's just so many people, we know there's a witness to everything. If people would just get involved and make a phone call and just something suspicious in your neighborhood, you're driving home today and you see a car sitting there with two guys in it, well, then just call it in. Let our deputy come check it out and find out. It's just 
consolidated communications or center point or anything else. Yeah. Uh, just pick up a phone if you see something going on. That's, a, that's the best advice. Just simple. It's the simplest thing. Yeah. Just make a phone call. You don't even have to leave your name. Really? You can just you anonymous just, You can and, call and tell the dispatcher. Yeah. You don't want to give your name, and the call still gets dispatched. It still gets checked out, and that's regardless of where you live. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the Facebook, social media, like it's great to use, but don't use it in that situation. Right. How many calls do y'all get on 4th of July and in New Year's about fireworks? Fireworks, hundreds. Hundreds, right? And despite we put out on our Facebook that fireworks are legal in the unincorporated area, yeah. there's nothing we can do about it. We can't tell your neighbor to stop. But on holidays, for sure, that is the most common call mm-hmm. we get. Some very, very angry people yelling at our dispatchers when she tells them, look, we can have a deputy drive by, yeah. but he can't do anything. And that's that's difficult people to understand. I remember last year, I think it was for Fourth of July, and there was a big next door post. I subscribed to all the messages, right. and it was like, once again, guys, remember we right. can't do anything about the noise. Right. And you know what you do? I, I think there's this. I don't know if if it's uh, neighbors not knowing neighbors or this fear of telling somebody not to do something, but that could be solved as easy as like uh, last year when my daughter was one and she's going through her sleep training, all that stuff. And my neighbors didn't stop until about 3 a.m. You know what I did? I went, hey, guys, can you guys please stop? Like, just right. that face-to-face, just stop. Right. You know, and sure enough, they stop. But there's this fear of, like, not confronting somebody, I think. Or just meeting their neighbors, which, mm-hmm. as you said, a lot of people don't even do anymore. Yeah. And that's uh, and it starts with us. It, it really, right. I think you, you made a great point, is starts with us. When it's texting and driving, starts with us. Right. That's it. You have to make that conscious decision of, all right, I'm not going to do this. Well, I'm going to go. Talk to my neighbor. Right. You've got to put more of it back on the individual. That's, uh, that's something that I hope if somebody, if we take something out of this conversation, it's that. <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we no. get out of here, man? No, I appreciate it. Uh, follow the Major on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again? Um, Chad underscore Norvell. What was, it? was Chad Norvell taken? Did somebody take it? They did. It was. Oh, my yeah. God. I think he was an engineer out of Oregon. Oh, that's what he is. Yeah. So I had to use the underscore. Man, even on, on a name like that, you got right. the, the Twitter be sketchy, man. I know it. Um, so our, our sheriff's office is just FBCSO. Yeah. Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office. Follow them. Even if you uh, don't uh, live in Fort Bend County, still follow them. It's very entertaining. Right. There's always good information. There's, if you see humor and sarcasm, that's usually mine. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, I assumed that was you. I was like, it can't yeah. be. I, I don't know if it's anybody else because that yeah. humor has to come from somebody in the field. Like Right. Or somebody high enough ranked they know they can get away with it. No, that's another <laughs> one. Absolutely. Right. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I it, enjoyed was a, it. it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, hopefully come back on some other time. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more and uh, talk about what's been happening. Uh, follow him on Twitter, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate uh, all the support that you guys have been giving to the Real Show podcast. As always, go check out Perfume Time Houston in Harwin. They've been there for almost 30 years now, so you know they're doing things right. Perfume Time Houston, or give them a call, 713-782-0030. And all your dental work needs taken care of by htowndental.com. htowndental.com, four locations across the city, two on the east side, They've got you covered right here in the Galleria area and uh, off of I-10 uh, next to that Ikea. They have you covered. htowndown.com, free cleaning and x-rays when you mention the Raheel Show podcast. All right, we're out of here. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you, everyone.